Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. From NJ.com, this is Talk is Cheap, a New York Giants podcast. We're talking big blue football all year round. Welcome aboard, Giants fans, to Talk is Cheap, our New York Giants podcast right here on NJ.com. I'm Joe Giglio, joined as always by James Cratch and Dan Duggan. They cover the Giants for NJ Advanced Media as we're at the part of the year where football is kind of back. OTAs are going on. The Giants have a few waves of them. Um, and really what's been making waves has not been what's been going on at OTAs, but who isn't around, especially at the start. That would be Odell Beckham Jr. We'll talk about that. We'll get into a little bit John Maris comments and comments really from you guys, from the fans, from a lot of fans of the Giants, according to John Mara, about Colin Kaepernick and uh, the role fans might be playing here in Kaepernick not being on an NFL team and a little bit on what actually may be going on in the field for the Giants at OTAs. James, we'll start with you. Um, welcome in. First time we've done this in a couple weeks. And Odell Beckham, as usual, uh, is the story around the Giants. Yes, we kind of gotten to the point now where we just kind of careen from one Odell, you know, media firestorm to the next. And I think at this point, and I'll obviously what you and Dan think, I don't even think it's about OTAs anymore. I, I don't think – I think it's – I mean obviously it's the kernel of where this all started. But I think it's become about much more than him not being at the OTA. I think it's been more about the, the stuff that's happened after we found out he wasn't showing up to OTAs. It has really kind of allowed this story to, to – get going and keep running. I agree with that. And, and, you know, you think about it, it's now, it's just like you said, it's something new every time. Other players run other camps, star players, um, Fletcher Cox, specifically in the division with the Eagles, didn't show up to, you know, the first round OTA. So this isn't a, a brand new thing, Dan, like players do this, but it just feels like if there was nothing else around Beckham, this would be a story, but this is just the next story. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, we almost have to go back because it's been a little while since, uh, everything first broke. I mean, it was funny that first Monday of OTAs, we were supposed to have media access to it. Uh, and then they changed the schedule, but people were still asking me, is Odell there? Is Odell there? The giants are putting out all sorts of videos and photos. Obviously you don't see Odell, which, which kind of raised a red flag. Now I'd already heard that he wasn't going to be there. So then when you're getting all the fans asking it and you're seeing the videos and photos and clearly he's not there, obviously I checked back into it and confirmed that he wasn't there reported it. Didn't think it was a huge deal, but I think it is a deal because it is Odell. Now, you know, obviously we've come to find out Olivier Vernon wasn't there. Oa Odigazua wasn't there. Uh, you know, Vernon obviously is a you know second highest paid player on the team. He's a big story in a sense, but just nobody is a lightning rod like Odell. But again, 
there was some kind of hot takes on, you know, when that story first came out Monday and into Tuesday. But things like, you know, you said really didn't take off until, you know, Odell kind of took the social media to, to sort of fire back. And, of course, it wasn't all him. You had, you know, pictures showing up of him and Johnny Menzel. And I talk about a lightning rod. He doesn't get much bigger of a lightning rod than Johnny Menzel. Uh, but then Odell was retweeting people who were obviously defending him, but some of the messages maybe weren't you know the type you want to be sending to it, your coach. And Chris Carter decided he was going to be Odell's mouthpiece. And everything just spirals, and that just seems to always be the case with Odell. Now, listen, some of it is his own doing. I mean, he, he can be his own worst enemy sometimes. And a lot of it is just this is who he is. And I know a lot of people think it's not fair, but you can't put the toothpaste back in the tube at this point. I mean, th- this is the guy who signed a $25 million contract with Nike the largest contract uh, for an NFL player ever from a shoe, uh, shoe deal. He's different. I mean, we all have to at least admit and agree that he's, he has a higher profile than Olivier Vernon. Whether Olivier Vernon's higher paid, whether he's a, the same type of player, Odell has a higher profile. We all can at least admit that. And then again, he just has a way of, of just being such a lightning rod. And like I said, once social media got hold of it, it really blew up. And it's become a much bigger story than it really needs to be. But at the same time, he can never just help himself and just come out and say, listen, I want to train in L.A. I, I love this trainer I have out here. I'll be there mandatory mini camps. Or he could even say, I'm not coming because I'm upset about my contract. I think some people would be you know, upset by that. I think most people would understand and be like, okay, well, that's fair. It's a voluntary thing. You're kind of making a stand about your contract. The fact that he just kind of doesn't do anything except these little videos and, and, and retweets, it just only makes the spiral kind of you know, kick up to another gear. And as we've seen, it's really reached that point now. James, when you kind of unpack all of this, do you look at all these things individually or – do you look at them together now when it comes to him? Because, I mean, this is – we're going on years of unbelievable play. No one ever doubts his ability on the field. But so many of these little things, when you add them together, I could see why some fans are probably just like, come on, man. Like, this is en- enough's enough. Um, how do you view this? Do you view this as a, a group of things or, or each of these things do you try to look at individually? I think you ha- – it's, it's a little bit of – both. I mean, so let's – and again, it's been a while, so we might I don't want to forget anything, but let's just kind of track back here. Okay, so Monday, uh, the Giants have their first OTA. They It's not open to the media, but the team, which is you know what teams do now and their social media, their website, they document it. And uh, then you, you go to a situation where, okay, so all fan, and it's not just Dan, it was me, I'm sure it was other B-Words, it's Odell there. The fans have a sensitivity. Is he there? Is he there? Is he there? Well, reporters who cover the team report, they got an answer. And Dan's right. There was, you know, some hot takes, but then it was kind of like over. I mean, he's not at OTAs. Like that's kind of the end of the deal. But then, uh, you know, the photo of Johnny Manziel comes. I think it was on Tuesday. Comes out, and that. I mean, look, like when if you're thinking about a f- in terms of like you know what's going to catch interest in the internet. I mean, the only other, only other two people I think you could have seen photograph with Odell that would have gotten more play than Johnny Manziel are Tim Tebow and Donald Trump at this point. Johnny Mansell is kind of like the peak lightning rod Twitter internet thing. And then I want to say probably Red, Bieber, but he, he's been Bieber. there, done that. He's been there, done that. If you had Bieber with Odell and Beckham in a, in a picture, I think the internet and Trump, I think the internet would just break. I don't even know, exactly. know if we could record this podcast if that happened. So then Wednesday, I want to say uh, the Chris Carter video comes out or maybe Thursday. Probably no, be Thursday because – uh, I think we were at the, the facility when that all came out. And, like, you know, I reported at the Super Bowl, like Chris Carter and Odell, that they have a pre existing relationship. 
Uh, that's not, that's definitely something that he's been doing for a while now. They've been talking and working with each other. But that being said, I mean, all of a sudden, Chris Carter and a camera and Nick Wright from Fox Sports 1 show up at his gym on Thursday. I mean, you know, come on. That obviously was probably a little bit, you know, orchestrated. And obviously, you know, Chris Carter's going out and, and giving interviews on Odell's behalf. The Iggy Azalea thing, I think is, you know, I mean, that, that was just someone at a bowling alley, some PR person in a bowling alley in L.A. who realized, hey, we can get some publicity if we call the, the news and the post and get our name in there. And then Odell starts retweeting stuff, and one of the tweets can be kind of construed as a shot at McAdoo. So it's always, I think, with Odell – a series of events, something happens and there's a reaction, but then it would probably just go away eventually. But then, you know, we get this and this and this. And that's why I think one of the big things the Giants are kind of facing is that everything that he does becomes a story, but he feeds into the story more often than not. You know, I understand that he probably can't control the, you know, someone planting something in page six, but he can control Chris Carter going out there and giving all those interviews, presumably. He can control retweeting things that could be construed as a shot as Ben McAdoo. So I think that at the end of the day, look, it's not a, that big of a deal. It's voluntary. He has his contractual right to not be at the OTA. Olivier Vernon also wasn't there. And people keep on, I mean, everyone's reported that too. It's just that the Olivier Vernon story just kind of hasn't gone anywhere. There hasn't been any developments that kind of can t- keep this k- kicking the can down the road. That's what we've had with Odell. And look, every time there's a big Odell you know, issue, it just seems like we get these little developments. I mean, I look back to last year, just one off the top of my head. He rips the referees out to the Steelers game. They get to the locker room on Wednesday or Thursday, you know, midweek, and he basically says, I'm not going to talk with the referees again. But Stevie Wonder, I mean, he just keep, kind of he keeps on throwing logs on the fire, and it gets bigger, and then he kind of pulls back and blames the media, which is I just don't get. Yeah, I think one part I'll jump into that you can't forget where we kind of left off last season. You know, I mean, he's in a different uh, you know boat than Olivier Vernon because he didn't end the season in the same way. He didn't. Olivier Vernon did not have the general manager questioning, you know, his his, his maturity and will he grow up. So there's obviously more of a microscope on Odell because of that, because of the boat, because of punching a hole in a wall, all those types of things. Because he had his worst game and his biggest game, all those types of things factor. You can't ignore it now. Again, at the end of the day, it's voluntary, and, and I'm sure that McAdoo's comments of wanting all his players uh, there, as, as much as he can say, didn't sit well with Odell in his camp. Um, but I think the team probably just is a little frustrated that, hey, listen, we, we kind of challenged you a little bit to, to grow up and, and you know, do things the right way. And then the first chance he kind of has to do that, he, he doesn't, you know, doesn't meet him halfway or you know, just doesn't kind of do the bare minimum. Again, he'll be there in minicamp, and he'll put up 1,000 yards, and, and no one's going to really remember this. But it's just it's just another kind of small thing that he could do, and he just kind of chooses not to, and it just kind of makes you wonder sometimes, you know, where's his head? At? Why not just show up? How much does it hurt to show up? Uh, you know, he can he can train with Chris Carter anytime. It's not like he hey, that was the only day he could get Chris Carter to come by his gym. Uh, so it's not like it's mutually exclusive where a lot of people have said that. Like, oh, he would have missed a chance to train with Chris Carter. I mean, that's that's obviously not the case. I mean, he could uh, he could train with them any day. So uh, I, I just think that's kind of been lost sight of. I mean, it, these the Odell bashing, whatever, it didn't come out of nowhere. The, the Giants, you know, the leadership of the Giants kind of put him on the spot to start the offseason. So that's going to obviously make the microscope, you know, even that much more focused on Odell. And, and again, and, and everything with him, the, you know, the reaction just kind of uh, goes overboard. People said, you know, is this about a contract or whatever? I mean, this could if, if, it, if it is about a contract, he's trying to stay away to prove a point. It could go the other way on him because you're the Giants, and, and we've written about this. 
you have him finally his fourth, you know, fi- finally of his rookie deal this year. Twenty eighteen is the uh, fifth year option, and then look, this would probably get really ugly. It'd be a nuclear option. They can franchise tag him in nineteen and twenty. So at this you now at one of those point, one of those two years they would use the tag both years. They'd have to use a non exclusive one. And I think Odell's one of the rare players that actually could get some team to say, "Here's an offer sheet. We'll give the Giants two first round picks for you." Uh, but that's way down the road. I guess my point is, why should the Giants, after the, the way last year ended and what and what Jerry Reese said and what Ben McAdoo said, should be, oh, you know what, Odell, you know, you haven't shown up at OTAs, uh, but we're going to give you we're going to give you all the, this major contract. I mean, what what has he necessarily shown the Giants to prove he got the message that Reese was trying to send in on January 9th or whenever? Uh, this could go the other way. The Giants might say, you know what, we would have int- been, you know willing to talk about an extension this year, but we're going to hold on for a year and you know, you're going to make your 1.8 million and we'll revisit the situation next year. So this, if this is about a contract, it could go the other way on hotel. It could, which would just open up even a bigger can of worms here with the giants and, and this great player, Dan, you wrote the other night and posted the tweet. Um, Odell Beckham retweeted uh, and, and really looked like a shot at Ben McAdoo. If anyone who's listened to us missed that, I'm, I'm sure most have seen it by now, but just explain what it was and then what you thought when you saw it. Yeah. So, I mean, Roland Martin, who I guess is a TV personality, I can't say I've ever heard of him, but he has a lot of followers on Twitter and, and, uh, you know, he kind of took up uh, getting Odell's back. And Odell hasn't really tweeted anything about this whole thing, except he tweeted out a Drake lyric, as he'd want to do, about how, you know, uh, you know the media will make up stories, something to that effect. Uh, and again, hey, that's all fine. It's fair. People are going to take shots at him. He can take them back. Um, but just the line of tweets from, from Roland Martin, uh, there was about four of them, and, and, you know, was attacking a column in the New York Post. Again, that's all fair. I don't really know what Odell thinks he gains by retweeting that. But again, hey, he's got his own kind of image to keep up, and he wants to let people know his side. That's fine. That's a totally fair game. But the one tweet that stuck out, stuck out was, you know, from this is, again, from Roland Martin, but Odell retweeted, I'm sick of folk act, folks acting like star athletes must always do what a coach asks. McAdoo wants OBJ at workouts. See you when it's mandatory. I mean, that just is so unnecessarily sort of confrontational at its core to me. It's like, I mean, the, the coach wants you there. He, he didn't say, he didn't, you know, he didn't uh, criticize Odell. He just said, we want our best players here. You know, he explained the benefits of OTAs, but he didn't take a shot at Odell. He didn't say Odell's selfish for not being here. He didn't say Odell's a jerk for not being here. It wasn't like McAdoo really put Odell on the spot that much like I said maybe Odell didn't like that you know McAdoo didn't just give this voluntary response but that retweet there it seems a little more pointed like kind of like yeah whatever you want McAdoo we'll see when it's mandatory like I don't know I just don't see what he gains by that uh, I think the McAdoo Odell relationship is, is going to be really interesting to watch because uh, McAdoo's taken a few kind of public jabs at Odell and uh, Odell has sort of always avoided addressing it and even you could say this he sort of addressed it but again it's through a retweet but I mean I think the big one was when uh after the kicking net game when McAdoo said you know Odell and used the d word distraction Odell needs to be less of a distraction obviously that's a you know a red button word and when Odell was asked about it a few days later he just said I'm not getting into the he said she said and it was kind of well your coach said it it wasn't like you know this isn't some gossip uh you know through the rumor mill and he just didn't go there and then you know McAdoo kind of backed off and I really he didn't really criticize Odell throughout the rest of the season, even after the you know the whole boat incident. He had his back, uh, but then at the league uh, league owners meeting a month ago, 
he made it very clear that he wants players, you know, to say no to things outside the the building. And, and obviously when he was followed up that it, it seemed like, obviously he's referring to the boat trip. Uh, he didn't do anything to uh, discourage that conclusion. So uh, there has been a few kind of back and forth jabs. It hasn't been all Odell. Um, so yeah, it's just gonna be interesting to monitor, see if, uh, you know, certainly as a, you know, head coach, you don't really want to have an adversary relationship with your star player. It's not good for anybody. Uh, but maybe at some time uh, these, these guys are just very different. Maybe they will butt heads. I don't know. It's going to be very interesting to see uh, if this becomes anything bigger than, than just a retweet you know, in May. I don't think it's Odell. I mean, I, I kind of look – I think it's, this is going to be one of the fascinating subplots of this giant season is that it's McAdoo's second year as a head coach, and they have built this team that on paper should contend for the Super Bowl. There's a lot of big personalities in this locker room. You've got – and not even, I mean, obviously you got Odell, you got Brandon Marshall, you know, you got Justin Pugh, you got JPP, you know, you've got Snacks. I mean, you know, <laughs> you know, you you've got the potential of the situation. Eli's not necessarily a big personality, but he's a huge presence. And you've got Davis Webb, who's being presumed as his replacement. You've got Geno Smith in there, you know, kind of fighting to revitalize his career. There's a lot going on with this Giants team. And they're going to be, in my opinion, potentially highly entertaining on and off the field this year. And I think it's really fascinating to see how McAdoo, who, you know, weathered a lot of issues last year. I mean, he had the national anthem stuff. He had the whole thing, with, you know, which we'll get to in a second with, with Victor Cruz and, and training camp, whether or not he was ever going to play. You know, the, the Josh Brown debacle. You know, it, it, there was a lot of stuff, you know, Annie Apple stuff. I mean, he had a lot of dumpster fires, as he kind of said famously last year. And I don't I'm not saying there's gonna be a lot of dumpster fires this year, but there's gonna be a lot of big egos and personalities and 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 stuff going on with this team as they as they think they can win it all and I think it's going to be really interesting to see how Ben McAdoo second year in the league kind of a, a mild mannered guy publicly at least handles all that I think it's it's a good point James and I, I don't think this is an easy team to coach I mean on talent like you were saying it's a, it's a good team to coach. I mean, I'm sure Ben will trade his roster for many in the NFL right now, but there's a lot there. I mean, his best player, Beckham, already has this whole stuff going on. He's got an aging quarterback that he has to try to, you know, guide through the remaining years of his career and get the best out of him. Meanwhile, you have a young quarterback behind him to bring along. I mean, you have all that. Then you have all these big personalities. There's a lot there and off of last year. Uh, Dan, James mentioned the Victor Cruz stuff, which Ben McAdoo commented on when you guys were last around the team for the first round of OTAs. How about that whole thing? That, that kind of got buried because of Beckham, but Victor Cruz, now a Chicago Bear, you know, basically just, just throws shade at the Giants, and, <laughs> and Ben McAdoo has to respond to all that. What did you make of that situation? Yeah, it's a great point you made. The best thing that could happen to Victor Cruz last week was Odell skipping OTAs because that probably would have been in the news cycle a little bit longer. But you know, then Odell skipped OTAs and then Cruz got signed by the Bears, so uh, it kind of faded away. But uh, those were just some ridiculous comments. This is the second time now in, in a matter of a month where Cruz has gone on uh, a radio show and it's been videoed, so everyone can see him make certain comments. They're reported. And then he attacks the reporting. As I mean, he's really might have a future in politics because it's, it's almost incomprehensible that you you know everyone can watch the video. Like if you're saying it's taken out of context, everyone watches the video and pretty much comes to the conclusion. Well, we'll know you said this. So uh, it, it's really amazing. I think maybe part of the problem with Victor because he is a very kind of friendly guy and and likes to you know have a good rapport with whoever he's talking to. It's almost like he gets too comfortable and forgets that he's not just talking to the three people in the studio that everyone's going to hear and everyone's going to have their own opinions because he wasn't on a sports show uh, either time. So I think he lets his guard down a little more. Wouldn't say that type of stuff to, you know, sports reporters standing at his locker. Uh, but just my goodness, the, the concept that the Giants would put Victor Cruz out there uh, as much as they did last year 
and then decide and then dictate to Eli, don't throw him the ball. I mean, that is just a mind-boggling you know, accusation. Now, he might complain that his role got reduced. He didn't play in the slot. All those things are fair game. But the fact that he, he has this conspiracy that somehow they froze him out because if he had 80 catches for 1,000 yards, the team couldn't cut him. Well, if he had 80 catches for 1,000 yards, the team wouldn't want to cut you. So, I mean, there's just so many uh, just logical errors in, in that point. Uh, I, you know, I, I think Giants fans love Victor Cruz. He's, he's kind of, yeah, I've seen the Tiki Barber thing thrown out here uh, quite a bit in the last month. I don't think it'll stick because, you know, he hasn't really gone, you know, after Eli the way Tiki Barber did. And, and I think Cruz will kind of put this behind him. I think there was some bitterness, obviously, uh, about how things ended. But I think he'll be able to put this behind him and, and not become a Tiki Barber in fans, in fans' eyes. But he's got to watch it because nobody really wants to hear kind of the, the scorned ex-lover just bashing the team that, uh, granted, Victor did a ton for the New York Giants. They also stuck by him for two years when he couldn't play. And they could have cut him. They could have made him take pay cuts. They could have done a ton of things. They stuck with him. And then they gave him every opportunity last year to come back and, and make an impact. And, and, you know, he made a few plays, but it certainly wasn't the same guy that, you know, he was before the injuries. But you don't play a guy 70% of the snaps if you're trying to sabotage him and get him out of town. It just uh, – I just think he's not handling this great. I think, like I said, I think he'll be forgotten. And the last one on, on what he does with the Bears, I really just don't think he is, you know, an NFL caliber wide receiver. Now, granted, the Bears wide receiver depth chart is terrible. So, you know, he probably will make the team. I shouldn't say that. But I don't think he'll ever, you know, get back to the form he once had. Maybe he can match what he did last season, uh, something like that, as like a number three receiver. Uh, but, you know, I, I think his, his obviously his better days are certainly behind him. Yeah, I think he's finished. And I, I just thought the, the commentary, James, as Dan was explaining there, it, it just was comical. And, like, I, I just don't understand why Victor just doesn't move on. Go play for the Bears. Go do your thing. Try to resurrect your career. Maybe he can. Uh, I doubt it. But to, to blame it on the Giants, it's just it's strange. Yeah, I just – I mean, one, I think the argument you made that they, they gave him too much run last year. I mean, we've, we've written it and we'll say it again. I mean, this team suddenly discovered that Tavares King existed in the final two weeks of the season. He was a leading receiver. You know, he should have been on the field more. I thought than Victor Cruz. I just felt, you know, look, I think Victor Cruz has a chance to be a, a, a serviceable, productive slot receiver, uh, but that's not going to happen here because the Giants drafted Sterling Shepard to be their slot receiver for the next 10 years. And, you know, it was kind of a square peg, round hole situation on the outside. He made some plays, and, and look, I think there's a chance that he could have a good, productive season in Chicago. I mean, obviously it's not going to help him that, that he doesn't really have – we don't really know what the quarterback situation is, and I don't think the Bears are necessarily going to be a strong club this year, but I think he could still you know, produce. I just don't think he was ever a fit for the Giants, but they gave him a lot of opportunities. They had him on the field. I mean, if Ben McAdoo didn't like Victor Cruz or wanted to – I mean, the easiest way to prevent Victor Cruz from making plays is to not put him on the field. And the Giants did put him on the field. And look, I, I think Dan's right. You know, I think the first interview we had with the, with the Eli memorabilia stuff, I think he was kind of hurt because there was really no follow-up questions asked of him. And I think that you saw in this second interview, there was some kind of follow-up questions asked. And he kind of realized, oh, I just said something really kind of dumb because he basically was like, well, I said the Giants – did this, but I don't think Eli would be in on it. So, I mean, if the Giants had this grand conspiracy and Eli wasn't involved in it, I really don't know how the conspiracy would work. So, I, I did feel, but again, I, I just don't. I, Dan's right. Like when you get videotaped and you say something, it's okay to say I misspoke. You know, I didn't mean it that way. Don't don't blame us because he said what he said, and this is now twice now that he's basically said that he didn't say what he actually said on tape. So. 
at some point, you know, it's not it's not always the media's fault. No, that's 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 for sure for sure here. And with Victor Cruz, it's it's way more than that. It was his play, and um, the Giants obviously have moved on, and he's moved on, kinda, but not really, as we found out the last week. All right, a couple things we'll we'll wrap this episode up with. Um, one, we have to touch on the story that's become a big one recently with John Mara and his comments, really commenting on what he had heard from his fan base. And then I want to get a couple of thoughts from each of you on what you actually saw on the field at OTAs because OTAs are happening and we didn't do that because all these crazy big stories happen around the Giants. Uh, Dan, let's go to you first. Let's talk about this John Mara. Um, well, it's become a firestorm because now people are coming back at John Mara. And he basically said he got a lot of response from Giants fans um, about not so much Colin Kaepernick, the way I read it, was more like if you have anyone on your team who doesn't stand for the national anthem, we won't be your fans anymore. We'll be, we'll be very upset. But that's what John Mara said he had from a lot of Giants fans. It was spun into the Kaepernick thing as Colin Kaepernick still, as we do this podcast, is not on an NFL team, um, which is one of the major stories around the NFL right now. What, what did you make of, one, what Mara said he received from a lot of Giants fans, and then, two, um, the reaction to John Mara, specifically Torrey Smith of the Eagles? Like, John is getting a lot of heat for this. And he was obviously talking about what he has heard and, and how it guides his business decisions. Right. Uh, well, I guess the first part there, but the fan reaction, I mean, I don't think it should be a huge surprise. I mean, I think it was pretty clear that there was a pretty big segment of the NFL fan base or just the general public who didn't agree with what Colin Kaepernick did. Now, I'm not, I'm not here to judge. You, know, you do what you want. I mean, whatever. Um, but, you know, I'm not surprised that he got a lot of reaction. It's maybe a little bit. Uh, discouraging as a society that if, you know if what John Mara said is accurate that he got more you know mail who still sends mail uh, more mail about the Colin Kaepernick thing than he did about Josh Brown that's troubling to me because I mean you employed someone who you know had a domestic abuse charge and you, you knew a lot about it and you brought the guy back and and I mean obviously the Giants just you know looked terrible in that entire situation so the fact that you're telling me fans are more upset about a guy kneeling for the national anthem than a guy who you know uh, you know had domestic violence charges. That's a little concerning, <laughs> you know. Again, without going into a value judgment of what Kaepernick did, just on the surface, I think we can all agree domestic violence worse than protesting the national anthem. Uh, beyond that, I, I think that he sort of did get a, a bad shake from kind of the public because you know, you know, you know how it is with with headlines and things can be twisted a bit. Like he didn't say we're not signing Colin Kaepernick because of that. I, I mean, he's speaking to what is out there. I mean, it wasn't like, is this breaking news that, that again, that fans aren't happy with how Colin Kaepernick handled themselves. I'm sure if any team signed him, the owner would face this backlash. So I don't see what John Mara did other than address something that's pretty obvious. I mean, I guess it's sometimes you get in trouble for just kind of speaking honestly. Uh, but if, if he had come out and said, we didn't sign him because of this, well, yes, that would be a huge problem. But I mean, they, this, the Giants are never going to sign Colin Kaepernick. It wouldn't make any sense for them. I mean, he doesn't play this type of offense. Uh, he's 29 years old, and what would be the long-term plan there? You get, you, know, you drafted a guy. I mean, Geno, obviously. Yeah, Geno Smith's looking like a one- to maybe two-year stopgap as a backup. He's going to want to go leave. So I just don't understand. I don't think Kaepernick will want to come here. I don't think the Giants will want Kaepernick for football reasons. Uh, so I think the Maris stuff, while I understand that, again, it's like the Odell stuff. It's a lightning rod topic. You throw Colin Kaepernick in a headline, uh, and, and you know someone making these comments, it's going to you know jump off the page a little bit. But if you really read what he said, and then Jenny Vrenta is the reporter, uh, you know, former Star Ledger reporter, she kind of clarified that, again, basically the point that I'm making and I'm kind of you know, taking from her interview was that he wasn't saying that this is, this is why we wouldn't sign Kaepernick or the team shouldn't sign Kaepernick. He was just explaining the, you know, the feedback he's gotten as an owner that fans wouldn't want them to do it. Doesn't, it doesn't mean he wouldn't do it because of that. Uh, so I think I wouldn't say it's much to do about nothing, but I, I do think it's been blown out of proportion. 
Well, that feels like a lot of the, the conversation around Kaepernick. It just gets bigger than it is, um, or really maybe should be because of the, the reaction it gets. James, what did you make of, of Mara? I thought it was interesting that, that he just he revealed this. I'm sure John Mara is not the only owner that receives whatever sort of mail, email or handwritten mail about Colin Kaepernick or what Colin Kaepernick did, his demonstration. I'm sure other owners did. Most owners have stayed quiet on this. They've just, you know, their actions have spoke louder. No one signed Colin Kaepernick. What'd you make of it? Yeah, I, I just think the bottom line is that John Mara, for, for you know, indefinitely, I think, when he speaks on these league matters, as he's wont to do, because he is one of the more prominent owners in the league, and he's always been a guy who's kind of spoken about these things, uh, he's going to open himself up to criticism, because the bottom line is, whether it's, you know, it, anytime he speaks on something of controversial matter, people are going to draw a line to the Josh Brown thing, which was a complete debacle, that he has never really addressed or explained. And, you know, he... he he didn't have an end-of-year press conference. He, he wouldn't talk about the NFL owner meeting in Arizona. I mean, this is something the Giants basically had it. They had a scandal on their hands, a national scandal, and it ended. And they basically, you know, Jerry Reese had his infamous, I'm not talking about. I mean, so th- the Giants, until the Giants uh, discuss that or, or answer questions or try to explain what happened, it's it, that's just going to be out there. That's something that he can be criticized for. And at this point, I, I assume that it's, that's probably never going to happen. But I think Dan's right. I thought the comments were kind of twisted a little bit. I don't think John Mara won. I, the, Colin Kaepernick, I don't think ever made sense for the Giants. Uh, two, I think he was more speaking about the what he received uh, as opposed to what he thought. I mean, he, I don't think he was making a value judgment on that. And to be honest with you, it doesn't surprise me. I mean, look back to the NJ.com comments and Twitter during the whole Josh Brown thing. Most Giants fans just blamed the media and said it was a non-story and they should give it up. And when actually when everything broke in October right before they went to London and everything came out and how badly the Giants had handled this, most Giants fans just said, OK, well, they should cut him and let's never talk about it again. So it doesn't surprise me. I think fan is short for fanatic and most fans are very keen to – be have take major umbrage to what the other 31 teams in the league do and not so much their own team so in that sense it doesn't surprise me uh as dan said it's a value judgment whatever you think about kaepernick uh domestic violence is way way worse and should be condemned at all levels when no matter what you think about kaepernick so but that doesn't surprise me that he would get mail on that uh i do think it's kind of a, a sad thing that he gets more mail on that than the josh brown situation but that doesn't surprise me but yeah no i just think that you know mara he may not have meant much by it. he may have just been trying to articulate what he thinks some owners in the nfl might be facing uh, but he's going to always open himself up for criticism when he says these things because of the way the Giants kind of handled the Josh Brown situation and the way they haven't really been very transparent in the aftermath about what happened. Yeah, I agree. And I just think with it's a visceral reaction with uh, Kaepernick. And my guess, and I don't know why, I can't speak for every fan that emailed the guy or sent him a letter, but just, just judging from me, like I think I, got, I get more reaction when things like the Kaepernick situation than anything happened with Josh Brown. My guess is people just were all kind of in agreement that the Josh Brown thing is wrong. People don't just kind of say, well, what am I supposed to say? Meanwhile, there's like this 
um, side that wants to stand up on Kaepernick for or against him. And it's just, it's loud. And, and obviously, uh, John Mayer is now part of that. Um, so there's been all these off-the-field stuff, you know, issues with the Giants and stories that you guys have been reporting on. There's also been some on-the-field stuff, which I've been reading your stuff, NJ.com. Our listeners, of course, have been too. What have you noticed? What have you thought, Dan? For each, you, give, us, give me a couple things. Uh, two from Dan, two from James that have stood out or you wanted to bring up. Maybe some actual football conversation here. Dan, you go first. All right, I'll start with the fact that, uh, you know, the OTAs aren't open to the public and there's very little uh, video allowed. And this is my first time attending one last Thursday. And I think that public has uh, a misperception of what they are. I know I did before I covered one. It's a football practice. People, I think, have this idea because the offseason program is, is broken down into different segments. And I think maybe one part sticks in people's heads where you can't do this, you can't do that. But when it comes to the OTAs, which is pretty much the final stage, and then you have the mandatory minicamp, the only difference between this, well, there's no difference between this and an early training camp practice when they don't have the pads on. I mean, they're wearing helmets. Um, that's it. And they're not supposed to have contact. But, I mean, listen, you know, teams get in trouble for this every year. I don't know what exactly that line is. But when you have 11 on 11 and you have offensive line and defensive line on a running play and you have guys trying to make the team on both sides of the ball, I mean, you can determine if there would be any contact there. Um, but it's a real practice. Like, that's why I think people have this idea, and I'm not trying to bring it back to Odell necessarily, but people think, oh, they just, you know, they throw some routes and they call it a day. I mean, they, they do everything they do in a normal practice. It's, you know, you warm up with individual stuff. They do position-specific drills. They come together and do seven on seven. Then they'll do 11 on 11. Then they'll do special teams. Then they'll do 11 on 11, two-minute offense. I mean, blah, blah, blah. It just goes on. It's a two-hour practice. It's a real practice. So that stood out to me only for the fact that I don't think fans are aware of that because uh, I know I wasn't. I thought it was kind of like this glorified, you know, you know, run some routes and, and call it a day. And it's really not. It's a real practice. So that, that's kind of the first thing, very, very broad, uh, that uh, stood out to me. And I guess the other thing really on the field that stood out and, and what makes a, an OTA uh, kind of enjoyable to watch from our perspective is seeing Brandon Marshall and Janoris Jenkins go at it. I mean, that's the first time we've seen them on the same field together. Uh, obviously, uh, it's great when you get two you kind of premier players to match up. And uh, it was a good battle. I mean, uh, Marshall beat Jenkins deep uh, for, for one pass from Eli Manning. And Jenkins, you know, he, he didn't try to, you know, discredit the play, but he did say like, well, you know, I didn't, you know, kind of go to that extra gear because I don't want to hurt myself or Marshall. Uh, so I think it was kind of a funny comment, though. It shows how much of a competitor he is. Uh, but then, the, you know, the, the roles reverse and, and Jenkins, you know, blanketed Marshall on a few passes and, you know, he couldn't get open, couldn't give him the ball. Uh, so that's great when you get to watch that type of thing. I mean, that, that's kind of what, uh, you know, I, I think it's fun just to watch that in OTAs and training camp to watch the, you know, the ones versus the ones because once you get to the season, it's all scout team versus the first team and everything. So it's, it's really cool when you get to see that. I mean, I know that, Last year, we watched Eli Apple versus Odell and all that. So uh, I thought that was really fun. And I think just from a, from a takeaway point on Marshall, I mean, again, you beat Janoris Jenkins deep. I don't really care uh, if, if, if uh, Jenkins is only going 90%. That's a good sign. I mean, he looks really good. I mean, this guy, he couldn't make a better first impression. Now, we all know that uh, maybe it's year two or year three. Things tend to go downhill with him, although he's obviously in a much different uh, you know, space. And he, the way he speaks is just really impressive, and he's really articulated about everything he's been through. But at the same time, listen, I mean, the, he was only there in the Jets two years, and he certainly wore his welcome with a few players there if, you know, if nothing else. Um, but, yeah, just a great first impression from him on the field, off the field. Uh, really everything I think they could have hoped uh, for. And there's a reason why Ben Mack had referred to him as a uh, breath of fresh air. Yeah, there's no doubt. I mean, the Marshall thing's going to be fun all year. And I, I just love the idea of football is back in a sense. Like they're at, back out there and you start piecing together what these, the team might actually look like now after watching the you know free agency and draft and all that. James, what stood out to you? I think 
two things. One, I think the Giants are definitely making a concerted effort, as we talked about a lot last year, to kind of shore up that pass rush depth. I mean, obviously, you draft Avery Moss, you sign Devin Taylor, which I think is a really intriguing signing. He's a guy who, I'll be honest, going into the off, uh, free agency, I thought he, even though he kind of had a poor season last year with the Lions, uh, hasn't done a whole heck of a lot in his career, I thought he was going to be a guy who kind of commanded seven, eight million dollars a year just basically on his size and his his potential. Uh, but that market didn't exist for him. And I think the Giants, we, you know, we haven't seen all the contract terms yet, but I think it was a smart signing for them. You know, they need to get some competition in that group because O.O. Digizua, Kerry Wynn, Romeo Aquar, I think have a combined three sacks in their careers. And obviously, I don't think it's going to really cut it behind JPP and OV. They need more pass rush production, and it seems like they're making a concerted effort with that. Uh, Stansley Mapanga, who spent all year on the practice squad, we saw him kind of lined up at outside linebacker the first OTA, so I think that could be intriguing as well. And the other thing is Jarrell Adams, and I'm sure Dan might have his thoughts on this too, he looked a lot faster than he did last year, a lot more sure. I mean, granted, it's just seven-on-seven stuff, you know, 11-on-11 11 11 stuff in shorts and helmets, but I think there's a good chance that we could get to week one in Dallas and all six of their 2016 draft picks could be starters. I mean, obviously you have uh, Eli Apple, a cornerback. You've got, make sure I don't forget anybody here, uh, Sterling Shepard, a wide receiver. Darian Thompson, if he's healthy, I think the third round pick, he'll be the starting free safety next to Landon Collins. B.J. Goodson looks like it's going to be his job at middle linebacker to lose. Paul Perkins has already been declared the starting running back. Adams would be the sixth guy at tight end if he can kind of carve out a role there. Um, maybe if they go to two tight end set or, or if it's more of a heavy set. You know, so I just think I think he's the least likely of the, the six from two years ago to be a starter. But he looked really good to me. He just caught my eye on Thursday, and I think he might have a chance to have a big second year. The guy ran a four six forty. Uh, you know, as a you know, 250 pound tight end at the combine. So, I mean, he definitely does have the speed. And I think a lot of that, I agree. He, he did look good. The one practice we've seen, and even you read the, the in-house stuff from the giants, he kind of keeps making plays. Um, I think a lot of it for him was learning the playbook and getting comfortable. So you would assume obviously in year two, when you kind of have all that stuff down, you stop thinking so much and you just play. Uh, and like you said, that would be a big development. I think he's kind of the forgotten guy. Everyone's kind of moved, you know, it's the old news and they, they draft Evan Ingram and it's like, everyone forgets about the draft pick last year. Obviously a, a six rounder is different than a first rounder. Uh, but then, you know, Adam's a good player. And I, I think he is a guy who, um, you know, definitely will have a shot to, to have a role. And if he's your third tight end behind Ingram and Ellison, I think you're in really good shape. So uh, they've, they've certainly upgraded that position significantly. So that'll be interesting to see the effect that has on the offense this season. Yeah, I bet I think the ears of all our listeners perked up. The Giants might have some depth and talent at tight end. It, it has been a while since that was, you know, a real theme, you know, a couple of weeks or months before training camp starts. Guys, this was a fun podcast, and we obviously had a lot to talk about. Hope everyone enjoyed it. James, as always, thanks for doing it. You got it, Joe. Thank you. Thanks, Dan. Yeah, thanks a lot, Joe. Thanks for all of you for listening to this episode of Talk is Cheap. iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, anywhere you want to find our podcast, you could do it. Of course, also on NJ.com. We'll be back soon. Talk is the Giants.